Hello, viewers, and welcome back to the Star Trek Hit or Miss podcast. This is episode number seven, uh, and this is a different type of episode. We're switching things up uh, this week. Uh, you'll have noticed by the thumbnail and the tweets that I've been putting out that we are doubling up on our episode reviews because we're reviewing short treks, so we'll be doing two of those. Uh, but as well as doubling up on episodes, I'm doubling up on guests this week. Uh, I have two guests for the price of one from various places all over the world. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself and we'll uh, we'll start with you, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I'm Chris, um, Shelf Nerds on Twitter, and I'm from Florida in the United States. Awesome, awesome. Uh, and uh, Dan? Hello there, I'm Dan. Uh, I am known on Twitter as Mr. Earl G, and I'm dialing in from Edmonton in Canada. Awesome. And uh, I'm your usual host, Mike, and I'm just here in the northeast of England, as per usual, lamenting the crap weather. But <laughs> so, uh, uh, just to clarify, if we have any new viewers or uh, anything, this uh, podcast basically breaks down into sections. Uh, the first one is uh, basically a, a getting to know you type thing where uh, I launch some questions at my guest, or in this case, guests, uh, just about sort of um, Star Trek in general and some favorite things. Uh, the second section is the hit or miss section, where likewise, uh, my guests won't know any of the things that I'm firing at you, but it will basically be things from anywhere in the Star Trek franchise. Uh, and I'll have to ask uh, you guys in order if you think it's a hit or a miss, and we'll debate back and forth. And uh, because there's three of us, we'll actually be able to get uh, an official consensus. I can basically act as a tiebreaker if necessary, I guess, and for this particular week. Um, and then after that, we will just go into the, uh, the the main section, which is the review of the two aforementioned short treks, uh, that being Q&A and Ask Not. Uh, and then I'll just finish up with the usual kind of audience interaction. I didn't have a lot, but there was a little bit. So, uh, yeah, that's all uh, all good. And so I will start us off with the first section, which is the section that I call Healing Frequencies Open, which is my geeky way of being like introducing people to uh, to us all here listening. Uh, so what I'm going to do then is to ask you guys, first of all, uh, what was it that first introduced you to the world of Star Trek, first hooked you in, uh, and can you remember the very first episode you ever watched? And uh, we'll start with you, Chris. Yeah, I was born in 1987, so my parents watched TNG, so I've been seeing it since I was conscious. Um, <laughs> I don't remember the first episode of TNG that I watched, but I do have a distinct memory of like Data sitting at the science station and Jordi and Picard leaning over him. That's right. All I have. That doesn't <laughs> narrow it down, <laughs> but fair enough. Not at all. Uh, awesome. Um, so your very first exposure was probably just random episodes of Next Generation then? Yeah, I remember coloring and my coloring book laying in front of the TV <laughs> as my parents watched it on Sunday afternoon or something like that. Nice. That's cool. It's weird to think how international uh, Star Trek is, because as I say, we're from three different countries and we've all probably got our own experiences, but we all watch the same show, which is weird. So, uh, but yeah, so if you had to, uh, if you had to pick a favorite series, would it be the one you started with next gen or is there another that's, uh, that's taken your number one spot since? Pre-COVID, I would have said Voyager. Right. Post-COVID, I found in moments of anxiety and stress, I kept going back to TNG. So I have to say TNG. Fair enough. I think both of those are pretty, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Soothing, I guess, in a way. Yes, not yes. overly tense and uh, not quite as ongoing story arc as something like DS9 or Discovery. 
Um, so yeah, cool. And uh, Dan, can you remember what your first episode was or your exposure that got you interested in Star Trek? What hooked you in? Well, I, I'm a little older, so I grew up in the 70s, and uh, so wow. I was watching. I was watching TOS reruns. Um, I, I wasn't. I wasn't old enough to watch it on the original broadcast, but um, my dad uh, got me into it. He was a, a big sci-fi fan, and so I grew up kind of watching whenever whenever Star Trek happened to be on, and we were Ooh. both around. We watched it together. I don't. I don't remember the first episode that I watched, but I my first definite star trek memory was um being taken to see uh the wrath of khan with my oh, with my dad oh, nice. uh I'm in the theaters. I, I was still young enough that that opening scene though just completely terrified me <laughs> with, the, with the, the worms going into the ears and i had to leave so oh no um, that's but, terrifying but at I, any age yeah well i <laughs> Thankfully, I wasn't uh, I wasn't uh, too tra so traumatized that I quit track. Um, <laughs> so I've continued <laughs> to be a trekkie ever since. Um, I I think my comfort show is uh, is also TNG though, because you know I I yeah, got to that when I, I was I was uh, you know in my uh, in my teens when that started, and um, it's it's just sort of had the status as a kind of comfort show for me ever since. Yeah, I think, as I said, TNG and Voyager are my two favorites, but I do like the entire franchise, to be fair. Um, I didn't really get your answer, um, sorry for that one, Chris, about was, was there an episode you can remember being, oh, I love this show, I'm going to keep watching it, that really sparked uh, your imagination for the first time? I think it's okay. the, the, the role model of Picard and the Ooh. curiosity of Data that really drew me in. So there's not one episode that I can remember being like, oh, that got me. But I guess yeah. with those two criteria, measure a man might be the one I claim. Okay. I was fair too enough. young yeah. to remember measure a man when it came on. Yeah, that's fair enough, though. I can understand that. Um, and uh, did you have any similar type experience, Dana? Were you just also like, uh, nope, it's just there. And I can't remember the first time. I just loved it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I had always really um really liked the show really enjoyed it um the the thing that I, I think if there's one episode that kind of got me took me to a different level in my watching mm -hmm. of trek was uh best of both worlds part one okay Just because, <laughs> yeah i mean ev i think everyone who is who who saw that live uh on tv and is old enough to kind of have that memory you know like me and all my friends were just just on pins and needles the whole summer just because yeah. it was it it was kind of a turning point for tng certainly you know almost for the for the franchise is sort of confirmed that tng was going to stay that it had uh it had something new to give the trek universe and you know it, it was it was broader than just trekkies it, at the time it was a kind of a tv event um mm. and a lot of i think a lot of new people uh tuned in to to start watching the following season yeah i've heard a lot about that particular episode and, and that big cliffhanger moment from people that were there i obviously wasn't i'm a little bit younger than you dan um, a little bit older than you chris <laughs> but um so i wasn't able to watch it live and my first exposure to best of both worlds was a videotape where it was edited into one thing so i never really uh um, it took me okay. a little while <laughs> took me a while before i even saw the cliffhanger but i remember when i watched it for the first time i was like i get how this would be really impactful especially if you've yeah. got to now wait months to see what happens next so uh yeah i understand that um and so the next question that i usually give in this section uh sorry to put you guys on the spot but if you had to pick 
three episodes anywhere in the franchise and two partners count as one story slash episode. But if you had to pick three to represent the very best of what you think Star Trek is and to show to any new viewer that you would be trying to hook into Star Trek, what three would they be? And uh, I'll mix it up. I'll start with you, Dan, this time. <laughs> okay, goodness. <laughs> um, let's see. I think that um, I, you know... Um, to to start um to start someone off to mm. be honest um if I, I would i would go with one of the new series um right okay most like most likely discovery um just because you know in, unless you know someone like for instance if i knew someone was my age like knew a lot of older tv and and was able to process you know mm. older tv because otherwise if you know i i wouldn't want to sort of start someone off with you know i'm not going to say to like a, a 20 year old oh you've got to start with uh you know the, the cage and, and <laughs> it's gonna look so 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 dated and so out of so um yeah i i don't think i'm going to offer you three separate uh it uh episodes i think if i wanted to just get someone get someone into track or show them for the first time i'd start with the uh the opening of discovery fair enough um and i'm gonna use this opportunity to plug the episode i believe it was episode three where um i did actually show um in an 18 year old friend of mine the cage which was the first episode he ever watched because i was right. interested to see <laughs> and weirdly enough he did like it so as it okay. turns out yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not. I didn't mean to say that. Uh, no, all, no, 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 no. All all younger folks are too close minded to watch older shows. Just <laughs> no. I know what you mean, but I, I mean, I did give him the proviso that um, be aware it's very kind of 1960s, and you're not going to yeah. be wowed by the effects and things. But he's. Um, I know. I know him because we're both Doctor Who fans, and so we're used to the kind of very, very basic 1960s Doctor Who effects. So I know he right. can look past that and kind of see story beyond some pretty limited uh, budgets. So that's why I was like, I'm comfortable enough to let you start here. <laughs> Most other people I might be like, well, you know, maybe jump into one with a bit better effects. But uh, sure. yeah. So um, feeling that then, do you have three episodes that you think you would see are the very best uh, of what Trek can represent in your eyes or or not? <laughs> yeah. So, um, of course, like I I, I love um, the, the kind of um, more thoughtful uh, episodes. Mm. So something like Measure of a Man. Uh, is is always great to me or the drumhead as well you know those okay, nice. I keep going back to TNG but those yeah. those things that really you know something that has a perspective and an issue and it's not it's not really always the most um the most you know heavily sci-fi uh kind of thing in track it's um i mean you know even if measure a man you're talking about an android it, it's almost not about an android it's about no. you know what, what makes us human right yeah it's about personhood um, yeah right 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 so i think those those are the kind of episodes that i would gravitate towards as as being really the most meaningful to me fair enough um so if you had if you were to see a measure of a man and the drumhead what, what would you slot into that third place would it be another next gen or would it be um i think i would let's see 
I, I don't know. I, I'll have to pass on picking out a single one as a third. Okay. Sorry. In which case, I'm just going to give you Far Beyond the Stars because I just want everyone to pick that one. So, sure. <laughs> from DS9. Because, yeah, that was one of my choices. But um, yeah, So with, yeah. the, with that in mind, Chris, you've had plenty of time to think it through. So uh, same question. What would be your three that you would pick as either the best or something to give new viewers to introduce them to what Star Trek can do? Well, I feel like that's two questions because my list would okay. be different for new viewers and Fair enough. for the best, right? Yeah, give so, me two lists. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give two lists. More, the more Trek, the better, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, so for new viewers, I think I would go with Best of Both Worlds and Family as yeah. this kind of cinematic experience that touches on the big sci-fi action and the personal character storytelling. Yeah. Um, of course, with Picard and family, but also Riker. I mean, Best of Both Wars is a Riker episode that yes. happens to feature Picard becoming the cutest. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, someone has to be left in charge. That's the thing. If you don't have somebody bringing up that captain slot now that Picard's captured, then the episode kind of falls apart, doesn't it? So, well, uh... but before that, they're really exploring who is yeah. Riker now and is he happy with who he is? Who does he want to be? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I guess. I'll count that as two episodes. Best of Both Worlds is one. Family is the second one. Okay. And then Far Beyond the Stars, um, I had on my list because awesome. Um, I'm an Eng I used to be an English teacher, and mm. I used to teach Far Beyond the Stars. Awesome. Um, in one of my units, and that would be some kids' first exposure to all, any Star Trek. They have no background knowledge; just that's it. And tears in the room from mm -hmm. students. I can believe it, yeah. Uh, Star Trek is window dressing to that episode, but it could be any sci-fi that they're kind of talking about, really, couldn't it? Exactly, exactly. So that's what I would show um, new fans, because I have done that. Mm. Um, and then it, the best of the series, I mean, there's so many to pick from, but the first one that came to my mind is Latent Image from Voyager. Oh, I love that. That's one of my personal favorites that nobody ever mentions. <laughs> that is super powerful. Yep. One of the best pieces of writing and acting in Star Trek. Yes. So Leighton Image, um, best of Star Trek, Far Beyond the Stars will be on that list, though, too. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And then to get a last one to round it out. Um, I really think... Crisis Point is a high point yeah. in the series from Lower Decks. Yeah. But it, it is only great because if you're a fan of Star Trek, I think it celebrates yeah, everything no, we love about yeah. Star Trek, right? Um, yeah. So that's why I would choose it. That or um, Kayshawn, his eyes open. Yeah, fair I'll just stop now. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. That's uh, that's all good. But um, no, I'm pleased with those choices because I love latent image. I think... Um, the one-two punch of latent image and then bride of chaotica for completely different reasons are two oh, yeah. uh, two different five-star episodes back to back <laughs> <laughs> couldn't be more different but i love them both so, um yes yeah. voyager has a lot of great in it uh yeah so what i will do then i'll move us to the very next section uh, and that's the section that the podcast is named for uh, and it's the hit or miss section uh, so as i said basically i have a list uh, that i wrote a while ago just at random uh, neither of you know what's coming because <laughs> I don't tell anyone in advance. Uh, yeah, as I say, I'll just fire the uh, what it is out, and then Chris, as I say, if you tell me if you think it's a hit or a miss, and a bit of uh, explanation as to why, maybe, uh, and then Dan, you do the same, and I'll jump in and either tie break or agree or disagree, and uh, and give my own two cents. 
Uh, right, so sorry to over-explain, but the very first thing uh, on the list for today, and I don't know why, the very first thing I have written here is um, the Voyager J from Discovery. Hit or miss, Chris? <laughs> A definite hit. Okay. And uh, why? <laughs> oh, um, it's just beautiful looking. It's sleek. It's it's still recognizably Voyager inspired. Um, and it really just draws the viewer in to want to know more about its interior mm. and how it functions and want to see it moving. They teased us so much and didn't show us enough of it in Discovery yeah. Season Three, so hoping that we get more in season four. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Dan, hit or miss for you for the Voyager J? Uh, I, I'll, I'll say it's a hit. Um, I love how sharp it is. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, people joke about uh, Discovery looking like a pizza cutter, and uh, <laughs> the Voyager J kind of looks like a cake slicer. So you know, yes. tell us how you say that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I like the kitchen theme. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, like that that little you know the scene like glimpsing the the inside of uh, Star Trek headquarters in the 32nd century again is is just you know it's it's a marvel uh, and, mm. and it's just so fun Truly. to get that glimpse and look over all those ships and and the j was definitely a highlight of that awesome absolutely yeah i always think it looks a bit more like a can opener because of that just dead space at the back <laughs> the little rings <laughs> kind of, uh. more than that it, it suggests that voyager become became a really prominent starship oh i love in that yeah. starfleet history that it yeah, continued yeah. on as a as a series of ships so that's really cool to me yeah, I agree. I think it's a hit. Um, I have slight reservations, but it's all things that are just because I want to see more, which has got to be, I've got to therefore say it's a hit um, because I love the way the design looks. I love the the little enhancements that they gave it for Star Trek Online just to give it a bit more detail and show you kind of where the weapons are and stuff. Uh, and yeah, I just, uh, I, I'm personally very on board with the detached pieces and the cells and everything. I know some people aren't, but I'm fine with it. Uh, and I like that it does just evoke the shape of the kind of intrepid class Voyager, and you can almost immediately see, ah, I get the lineage, I get what it is, you know, plus exactly what you said, you know, if it's the 11th one, then the original one has to have been famous enough to warrant keep naming them down the uh, down the centuries, so very good, and uh, I also hope we get to see more of it, so... Okay, it's a great start. Three uh, three positives. So <laughs> we'll see if we can keep the positivity going. Number two on the list for today is uh, simply Tribbles. Uh, Chris, hit or a miss? <laughs> Ooh. Um, a miss. Ooh, controversial. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, they're fine. They don't yeah. excite me. Um, um, the Trouble with Tribbles is a fine episode but i don't go back to it much for comfort and i know some people do it's a lot of fun Ooh. um i prefer the ds9 rendition of it yeah okay. but um the tribbles themselves don't do much for me outside of the context that they're in right okay so you think they're very kind of one no idea and it's it's a little stale maybe by this point um not the yeah, words in your mouth, but yeah <laughs> awesome and dan what do you what would you say to the triple hit or a miss well, I'll have to go with a hit. Uh, okay. uh, the you know the um, the original trouble with Tribbles is maybe the high point of comedy for TOS. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know it's it was such um, it's such a nice thing to have that note of comedy early on, and I think even even without 
the Tribbles being present, that kind of that kind of comic sensibility now and then, you know, really enlivens Trek um, and gives it a little bit more depth and range. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I totally get what Chris is saying about the triples themselves, not, not doing much. Yeah. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, a lot, so much happens around them. Um, yeah. that, uh, that I, I, I wouldn't want to, uh, I wouldn't want to say goodbye to them. Oh, I wouldn't awesome. want to say goodbye to them either, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> You're just waiting on a new take, maybe to uh, to bring some life into them, to do something bit more special, I guess. Um, no, I think by themselves they do their job, but but when you just mention Tribble, hmm. by themselves they're fine. Yeah, okay, okay. fair enough. <laughs> uh, I will I will also go hit just because I have an affection for like I, I guess it's probably more like what's done around them because they can't really do a lot. They just sit there and. Q, I guess, but it's just such they a make basic, babies. Well, yeah, and and reproduce a lot apparently, but yeah, I just think whoever it is that came up with the idea, it's kind of weirdly ingenious that it's become part of uh, the collective kind of pop culture consciousness that even non Trekkies probably know what a tribble is. Um, there's been many a time I've been over at my grandparents' house and uh, my grandma tells off my mum for leaving tribbles lying about because she just leaves rolled up hankies. <laughs> She's not even that huge a Trekkie. It's just kind of like it's it's become the the kind of lexicon for anything that spreads around and you can't get rid of it. So I like that um, Star Trek kind of has that place, but also I love the how well that little thing is played for that comedy in, uh, in Trouble with Tribbles especially and also, like you say, Trials and Tribulations and things. And... Uh, even though I wasn't a fan at first, even um, the trouble with Edward, the short track, really has grown on me because I've watched that about four times. The first time I was really kind of like, this isn't canon, I'm not having it. And then the more I watch, the more I think I appreciate what it's going for. So <laughs> I did find that more interesting use of the triples, for sure, as an okay. origin story for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it fits the tone and everything of their stories. And uh, like I said, once I got over the kind of, because there's always kind of that little sci-fi nerd in me that's like, this is new information. I'm not having it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it was it was good with what it did. And uh, it's good having good comedic and good actors involved. So, But uh, that's neither here nor there. So either way, uh, we're sorry you're outvoted on this one, Chris. And we're, we're seeing the triples for it. <laughs> the triples live on. They do. <laughs> Don't they bloom and always? <laughs> Perhaps I'm part Klingon. <laughs> Maybe so. We'll be beaming them to your engine room, evidently. <laughs> uh, so the next thing on the list, we've kind of vaguely touched on, I guess. Uh, the next thing I had on my list for today, Kit or Miss Beckett Mariner. Chris, what were your thoughts? Oh, a hit. Um, okay. Not at first, though. I, um, oh. I found her to be trying too hard. Right. To be awesome at everything and, um, you know, witty. But that's her that's part of her character yeah and it wasn't until crisis point that it really clicked that she's a fully fledged fully explored deep character that really the conflict is about herself yes. and in that episode she fights a holographic representation of herself yeah um, so very on the nose. <laughs> it's a very well but i like it i mean it it really it really solidifies who this character is that mm -hmm. she's struggling to figure out who she is I agree. Yeah, I think um, I can see what you mean. That at first you're kind of like, "Oh, you're, I'm kind of tired of this. I'm such a rebel type attitude." And then when you realize that is entirely a front, and she kind of wrestles with it herself, I think that that really brings that character to life by the end of that first season. Um, but anyway, <laughs> getting ahead of myself, Dan, uh, hit or miss for Beckett Mariner? Would you say? 
I'll have to go with a a hit. Um, okay. I, I absolutely love the character. Um, you know, I think that um, Tawny Newsom just brings this amazing kind of manic energy mm. to her, which is which is sort of perfect for her as like the you know the 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 lead for this particular show. Um, I I think you know I'm a little bit glad that the show is putting less uh centrality or less ep- less effort uh directly on her for season two um oh. not because i don't think that she's a great character um but just um you know i if if it season one was was always the limelight was on her and it would have it would have had the potential to get a little old uh, and kind of turn into a shtick. Uh, but uh, I think that with the other characters being more fully developed, including, you know, outside the, the main four, uh, yeah, the, the secondary cast uh, on, uh, on season two, that, that, that what makes Beckett Mariner special and powerful and this comic dynamo is sort of preserved in the right in the right combination so i think uh it's a hit uh although it's weirdly it's a it's a hit i'm glad i'm i'm seeing less of okay <laughs> that makes sense. Saying, though, yeah. yeah yeah um i i agree i think she's a hit and uh, again i had my reservations at first when it seemed like it was kind of this is a character who uh thumbs her nose a little bit at starfleet but then again perfect writing at the end of that first season when it's like no she's not disrespecting Starfleet. She just doesn't always agree with the officious bureaucracy side of it. And in actual fact, she's in a lot of ways more like the kind of heroic Starfleet <laughs> that you yes. would you would idolize than some of these people that are like, well, we can't do that. It breaks a rule or whatever. So um, again, I think that's just ingenious writing of that character, especially for what is ostensibly a comedy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. You know, I, and I have to give credit to, I think it's the episode Envoys when at the end she sets up the whole Ferengi situation to yes. give boimler a chance to shine yeah in that moment i was like okay this character has a lot some depth there and some empathy and she cares about people mm. um so if i have to go back in time i would say that would be the moment that i really started to see something more and crisis point just solidified it the very next thing on my list then is uh, an episode uh from star trek enterprise and it's the two-parter in a mirror darkly would you say that's a hit or a miss? And uh, Chris, are you still with us? <laughs> yeah, yes, I'm here, and uh, I'm gonna get in trouble because it's a miss. For okay. Me. <laughs> well, as long as you have reasons why, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, like I love the introduction with the whole flip on Star Trek: uh, First Contact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the the campy overacting doesn't work for me. Uh, right. <sighs> It just, just didn't. I, I thought it was awesome to see a Constitution class yes. um, working together with an NX01 class. Mm-hmm. Um, all the visuals were really cool to see Archer in the wraparound green uniform and mm-hmm. and a, a CGI Gorn was okay. Oh, uh, um, wasn't it? Was you <laughs> I mean, it was I'll, okay. I'll, I'll pull you up on that one. That was the one thing that's, uh, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know how you managed to make a rubber suit look better than CGI, but somehow they did it. <laughs> At the time, I thought it was cool because I did okay. watch that one live. I thought, oh, okay, cool. Okay. I hadn't really seen the rubber green uh, uh, ah, suit yet. Okay. I knew about it, but yeah. um, it wasn't streaming everywhere back in that time, 2005, I, I think. <laughs> I see. Um, so, but it just, 
I don't go back to it very much because of the camp. Um, right. The overacting, especially with um, Scott Pecula, just didn't work for me. I, I don't know. Didn't okay. Work for me. That's fair enough. That's, I, I can see where you're coming from. I think uh, my counter might be that I think that's kind of the point of the mirror universe. But if you have I've, an issue with that, that's yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, because yeah, I, and, I, and and I don't ever usually enjoy the mirror universe except for Terra Firma, where I don't think it was camp. There, it was done straight. No, no. Right. Yeah, I think, uh, well, when you've got an actress like Michelle Yeoh, I don't think she would really be capable of ridiculous over-the-top camp. But again, that was written as a very serious yeah. uh, way to explore how this character wasn't part of that morality, I guess, anymore. Um, but that's a topic for another day. But uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I see what you're saying. It's very arch, and whether it's designed to be or not, if you don't like that, you don't like it. It's perfectly fair. Uh, so, Dan, would you say a hit or a miss for that episode? You know, I, I'm also going to say a miss, um, and uh, for somewhat different reasons, though. I, you know, I like I like Star Trek camp in okay. in moderate in moderate amounts, right? Um, okay. And so I don't I don't really have a problem with that. Um, but you know, there there's to me, it's always seemed like there was there was really no reason for this episode in that series, right? Right. Um, and um, I, I don't I don't think that the Mirror Universe, I mean, the, the, the franchise keeps coming back to it, um, sometimes more successfully than others. I think this is might be the least successful of all the visits to the Mirror Universe. Um, you know, there- Now you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Uh, people can come at me on Twitter if they want. Um, oh, don't say that because they will. <laughs> <laughs> I got yeah, your back, I mean, man. I got your back. It, it you know it seems like um, uh, Enterprise. I I absolutely love the show. I I uh, think it got short shrift. I think there's a couple times that they made choices like they were reaching or mm. trying trying too hard to connect it to uh the rest of the trek franchise yes um and yeah. this this really this really feels like you know tr trying trying to do a, a rehash when they they should have been doing you know new things they they i mean that's uh, in in some ways that was the the best of the premise for this prequel series is that they they had a lot of freedom and, and a blank slate and so um this this doesn't make the most of that you know okay. dan you made me think that if they just use those two two episodes to push forward the forming of the Federation, I mean, that, ah, oh, what an opportunity yeah. to do something new there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I'm just going to go ahead and for the interest of balance, I will say, I think in a meritocracy is a huge hit for me personally. Um, but for some pretty shallow reasons and I'm just, I, I'm the absolute easy mark when it comes to fan service. Uh, so you show me a constitution class <laughs> ship, you show me the bridge, you show me, a gone bad as it was uh, you give me an actual reason why the tholians look like that <laughs> show me the uniforms and everything and i personally think the mirror universe works better when it's ridiculous like it is basically over the top it is these are the characters you know but evil and arch and i like that a lot better than kind of discovery's take which is just like what if everyone was a nazi uh, it's just like <laughs> that's a bit close to the bone you know um but yeah, anyway. <laughs> so well, yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm, I I'm glad when people like it because I can see that there's something there fun and yeah, yeah, and yeah. likable. It's just not something I will spend two hours on. 
Yeah, no, and I, I fully respect that, but I, I just like the story that it's telling. And so the very next thing on my list then is uh, very, very broad, I should say, but kind of topical, given that we've just had the Prodigy uh, Star Trek panel today. Uh, and that is Catherine Janeway, hit or miss, Chris? Oh, a hit. Okay. A definite hit. Um, I mean, I can't wait for my daughter, who's four and a half, to grow up to the point where she can really watch Voyager and see oh, nice. Janeway as a role model. I mean, yeah. I'm a I'm a male, but I can see her as a role model. Yeah, um, uh, that doesn't negate her faults and bad decisions. No, but of that course, even, yeah. those even make her even better because even the the worst decisions we make doesn't exclude us from making great decisions and making a huge positive impact. Um, so Janeway, with her unique um, speaking pattern and her <laughs> fear ferocity, um, I love her. She's definite definite hit. Awesome. And uh, what about you, Dan? Yeah, I'll have to say hit as well. Um, Janeway is to my, uh, with my assessment, I mean, I, I love all of the Star Trek captains. I, I think that she might be the best leader mm. out of all of them. Um, it, it, and, and it's, you know, amazing in the sense that, you know, she's, she's basically new as a captain. Um, then she's immediately thrown into this impossible situation and, and manages to actually get the crew home. Um, it's, it's just a remarkable feat for, for anyone. And yeah. um, I, I think that she, although to my mind, she's, she's a little bit too much of a risk junkie that <laughs> she, she'll always take the riskier option uh but well uh, i mean to be to be fair <laughs> this is this is a franchise that started with captain kirk <laughs> sure 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 um but you know risk her, is what her, we're on her you know <laughs> she the the risks pay off right and yeah she yeah. just she just shows excellent judgment excellent like um you know all around but good good in combat good in diplomacy good in managing her her personnel um and is uh really just an extremely excellent example of what a good leader looks like to me yeah i i agree i think massive hit because um obviously i like voyager anyway but i think um for a reason that neither of you touched on but you probably would agree with i actually like that it explores that she can be flawed and she can be self-doubting because she's not really in a position not to be when you're all alone on that ship so i love moments like um, the episode night where it's basically just her almost spiraling into a depression about like it was my decision and I've stranded us here and was it the right thing to do and uh, mm -hmm. yeah um, I, I love in the early seasons especially the kind of like no we're going to rigidly stick to these Starfleet morals because it might be all we've got out here you know <laughs> even when it was incredibly difficult at times um, and so culminating that in season five and six um, with the her almost jealousy at the uh, the equinox which was able to you know, abandon morality and find these shortcuts. Uh, the next thing on my list um, is just because I've never actually done an alien ship before, so I decided I wanted to write this one. So, uh, the, the Derek's class Romulan warbird. Chris, would you say it's a hit or a miss? Oh my gosh, an, an amazing hit. Okay. It's my, it's my favorite um, alien starship design um, because of its size, you know. Mm. And and just the the shapes are so unique, but there's still definite nacelles, you know. Um, 
the, the Star Trek language is still there in the ship design, but it's still alien as opposed to the gray, cool kind of design of the Enterprise D. Um, they're just striking. And whenever they show up on the screen, it's just imposing and a little bit of a thrill. I don't know. It, I, it, yeah. it never loses that thrill for me. Awesome. When I, and when I got the Eagle Mouse, to, um, just a regular model, it was so small. I'm like, this is this is disappointing. Oh. Um, I should get the XL sometime. Dan, what would you say to the Romulan Derek's Warbird? <laughs> well, I, you know, I think I'll I'll go with a miss. Um, okay. I, I don't I don't hate it. It it's okay. Um, but uh, you know, I the 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 kind of eerie green that <laughs> that mm. they're usually lit up in is is uh, you know it it signals kind of uh, sinister enemy, which is appropriate to Romulans. But I've never I've never felt the need to. Uh, to pilot one <laughs> or or um really to to fanboy about it it's just sort of you know i, I accept it as part of the universe it just doesn't excite me all that much that's fair enough um yeah i'm similarly in two minds about it but i will since i'm the tiebreaker i will lean toward hit um because i do think there's something about the the basic silhouette and everything that really works uh, and the kind of the fact that it does have an almost bird-like beak at the front and the the empty space allows it to look like wings but the ultimate selling point for me is just, oh, how, how do you power your ship? Black hole. <laughs> <It's just laughs> nice. Miniature black hole. That's what we use. We're not afraid. <laughs> so like, well, you know, you've got to respect that at the very least, haven't you? So, yeah. Well um, said. Well said. <laughs> exactly. Uh, cool. But uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll do one more then, and then we'll move on to the review. So the last thing I had for today then in that case uh, you guys, I don't know how familiar you'll be with this. It's the first time I've done something that's not strictly speaking canon, um, but I bought the model because it was on sale recently, so I'm curious what people think. What would you say about the Enterprise F? Uh, Chris, I will start with you. <laughs> well, uh, let me look that up just in case. <laughs> it's, uh, I think it's from Star Trek Online mainly, but it might have appeared the Odyssey, in the comments. The Odyssey class? Is that Odyssey class, is? I mean, yeah, specifically, yeah. Yeah, okay, so... Um, the first time I saw that, I really did not like how the neck is shaped with like the open slots around mm. the secondary hull. But from the top, it's a gorgeous ship, and and it makes such sense as an evolution from the Sovereign class, mm -hmm. um, with all the kind of dark elements in the hull design. Um, I love the nacelles, nice sleek kind of contained shape, but a little shorter than this the Sovereign. Um, so overall, I think I like it, but I did not like it at first. It's grown on me over the years. And, and actually I want to get a model. I don't want the Star Trek online model. No, um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't opt for that one. I bought it because it was, I don't even know if it still is. I, if, if you were interested, I should have mentioned, but, um, cause it was reduced to half price. So it was under 10 pound, uh, in my money. <laughs> um, yeah, so I ordered, yeah. well, I ordered for it for Comic-Con perhaps it might still be, I might have to check after the show. Give it a look, um, but I, I would say, yeah, get the one with Federation livery rather than the online livery. Cause I just think the online, um, the bright white with the black sort of stripes and stuff just looks ugly to me. So I, just I, got I the agree. One. It's, it's too stark. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, so my final answer, it's a, it's a hit. Okay. So hit, but not among your top uh, favorite ships ever, but that's fair enough. Um, yeah. Okay. Dan, are you familiar with the enterprise F? Do you have an opinion either way? Well, yeah, I, I you know, I'm going to say it's a miss um, okay. not because it's objectively a bad or ugly design, but just because 
the profile, it, I mean, it, it's too, it's too Voyager, right? It's right. Uh, it has this elongated saucer section. It looks very close to the Voyager design, which, which is a great design, but um you know, I like my enterprise saucers to be round. <laughs> what can I say? Okay. I mean, that's a good okay. point for sure. Yeah. And that's yeah, absolutely res completely respect that fact. Somebody did actually say to me when I posted a picture of the model and um, who hadn't seen it before, it looks like the baby of a sovereign and an intrepid class. And I was like, Oh yeah, I guess it kind of does in a way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can see where you're coming from. If you want your, your enterprises to have a round uh, saucer, it's very much not that it's entirely mm -hmm. pointed. And uh, yeah. So, well, that's fair enough. I, I personally would go with a hip, but again, I was in two minds and uh, I do not like the Star Trek Online official like markings and stuff that I said on it. But when I received the model of the Federation version, it looks really cool. <laughs> I have to say it surprised me when you actually see it in person, even though it's only one of the smaller models. And I was like, well, okay, now I'm it. getting it. Darn it. <laughs> it looks really good next to the Enterprise E as well, because like you said, as an evolution of that design. When you place them side by side on a shelf, it's like, yeah, I can see where you're coming from with it. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll move us on then because uh, I've probably done enough hit or misses uh, for one day. Uh, so I'll move to the main review, which, uh, as I said, we're going to do a couple. Uh, so I will start with uh, the episode Q and A because we're doing a couple of short treks. And uh, I've been informed just as a little bit of um, feedback that maybe I should give a brief synopsis because some people may not have seen the episode or may need their memory jogging. Um, so just to clarify, Q&A, pretty easy to get into because it's only a short. Basically, it's Ensign Spock's first day on the USS Enterprise, uh, his first encounter with uh, the character number one, and the two get stuck in a turbo lift and get to know each other. There's not really much else to say beyond that. So uh, with that in mind, Chris, did you have any uh, first thoughts on Q&A? Any opportunity to kind of get into the mind of one of our beloved characters at the beginning of their story is a wonderful opportunity. Um, I like Ethan Peck's portrayal of Spock. Yes. For the most part. Um, overall, the episode is not one of my favorites um, in the end. Okay. The, just the right. complete package. Okay. I, love, well, we'll... I love when a character is stuck with another character in an enclosed space, you get some good interaction. What about you, Dan? Do you have any general thoughts before we get into it about uh, Q&A? Yeah, I, I'm generally quite positive. I mean, I do, okay. I, I am a sucker for these, for any any time you get two Starfleet officers stuck in a room and having a drawn out dialogue. <laughs> it, mm. I, I really like the intensity of those. And, and for this, you know, I really like the fact that they're, they're both, um, characters who in their own ways have a front to maintain mm -hmm. and that they're they're able to kind of open up to each other a little bit in a way that um that gives us insight into both so that's my overall take absolutely and you've hit on something there that i did want to mention that i personally see in the episode but again maybe it's just me uh, which is that obviously during the cage that spock wasn't the character we knew as as everyone knows and the number one character i suppose was kind of the spock because she was the cold emotionless you know oh you'd have more luck mating with the computer type character um mm -hmm. so i think it was a stroke of genius to bring these two characters who are effectively in in the way they were originally introduced almost the same character um but also explaining how spock became more that than the kind of laughing smiling guy from the cage you know um 
how he was taught by someone amongst, as well as the ones we know, Sarek and, and whatnot. He was taught by someone else about, you know, maybe hide your more outlandish attributes as, as a Vulcan. People might be disturbed by it. And uh, yeah, uh, but, but also, you know, you can still feel these things. You can still be unique in your own way. I'm definitely not telling anybody not to do that, but maybe, you know, just keep it a bit quieter, I guess. Um, which I appreciated. I think it was it was interesting. From any other character, it might have come off as mean, but from number one, I thought it worked. Um, yeah. So <laughs> uh, let me just start as well by saying I, I really like the direction of the episode. Um, I think whoever directed it, and I should have looked it up, I'm sorry, I always say that, um, but whoever directed it did a great job with kind of the hero reveals of Spock from the transporter and the, um, the various kind of weird Dutch angles as the turbo lift gets stuck and the... Uh, passage of time and making it look cramped and uncomfortable. Uh, I think they did, again, a fantastic job getting everything across that you needed to in, in what was about 15 minutes. Uh, so shout out to that, first of all. <laughs> I, I do like as well that um, they have a lot of the original series sounds uh, that are the same ones in the background, <laughs> which I appreciate because I'll say <laughs> little uh, fanboy touches like that I always, uh, I always respond to. Um, this might be controversial. What are your two thoughts on this? Turbolift network, as we say it here. I am, Chris, uh, you want to go first? Oh, sure. Um, I'm not a fan of the yeah. roller coaster turbo lifts, and I don't use that as a derogatory. It's just I feel like that's the common language we've used. Mm -hmm. Because in the script, they say a lieutenant is going to um, propel down the turbo lift shaft yeah. to save them, and there's no turbo lift shaft to propel down, you know? Yeah, because it's on um, rails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's on rails. So there was an opportunity to either change the dialogue to match what's actually on screen or change what's on screen to match with what has been presented. Mm. Um, it, You know, I don't want to be one of the, the people that get hung up on that. No. But um, it, it doesn't ruin the story. That's not why I, it doesn't hit for me. Um, it is just one of the visual problems i have the most issues with in discovery yeah i uh, i probably would agree with that but we'll go to you first dan and see what your thoughts are on this movie yeah you know i i don't mind like you know i i'm not the kind of person either who's who's going to um react to a new design element and say well why didn't we have that in tos and mm -hmm. uh, but but it just you know it doesn't seem like efficient spaceship design. Like there's no, there's a huge open space where with nothing going on in there. I'm like, what, what is this space being used for? Mm -hmm. um, just, just to root root uh, elevators in weird kind of twisty configurations. It, it didn't seem to quite be the right way to design the interior yeah. of the station. But it does look really cool. I mean, it really it looks does cool. look cool. It looks cool. <laughs> yeah. And that's why, like, if they just change that dialogue, okay you're you're aware of what you're doing but like the dialogue to me makes it seem like they're not speaking together the writers and the and the uh production Interesting, yeah, um, maybe. yeah i hadn't thought of that but i i see your point um yeah i i absolutely hate it and again i'm not one of those i, I do not want to come across as one of those people that's like and this is why new trek sucks and blah 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 um it's just one of those visual things that yeah i i it's not an elevator or or a lift if you want to call it that at that point it's a monorail or a you know, cable car network or something, because you know the, the turbo lifts only ever went up and down, left and right. They didn't start doing loop the loops and travel this vast distance and stuff. So it's very jarring to me. And uh, again, I can accept kind of visual reboots and things. A lot of the people that complain about 
the starships are too big, it doesn't really bother me because it's like, well, how can you tell? You've got to have a comparison first of all. And as long as it looks like these people are inside of it, I'm, I'm not bothered. But when you get something like that, I think it throws me out with a story because I'm like, well, that couldn't possibly fit inside of there. So well, and and if if that kind of lift system showed up in the refit discovery, I would mm. be like, oh, that's pretty cool. Mm. But because it showed up pre-TOS, and I, th this is a whole discussion about canon, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not yeah, yeah, interested yeah, in that. I yeah. usually focus on what I like. No, of course um, But it does seem to be a leap too far for, for me to accept it easily. Yeah, I, I agree. Again, it doesn't ruin anything for me, and I don't... Uh, sure, yeah. I'm not going to be like, oh, fire Kurtzman because the lifts aren't right or whatever. But um, <laughs> and, and again, it's a far greater problem, but we'd be getting into the weeds with that when it uh, appears in the end of Discovery Season 3, and it's ridiculous. It's ludicrous how much space they have. <laughs> like, I'm fine But I can take it there. Those. I can accept it. It makes total sense because it's a refit, future technology, whatever you want to explain it. It... I can, I can, I can gel with that. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, fair enough. It's but, just um, prior to that refit with future 32nd century, 32nd century technology. It is a little tougher for me to accept. Yeah. And again, I mean, there's things that I can accept a lot easier because technically I've had, I've had people complain because they say, well, this is set pre the cage. And so the uniforms and the ship and everything aren't right. And I'm like, well, of course they're not going to, they're not going to use the 1960s, you know, graphic designs and these are different actors and everything anyway. There's a point where you've got to mm -hmm. suspend disbelief, I guess, and be fine with it. Um, but in the case of things like the Turbo Lift Network, I just think it's a change that didn't need to be done. <laughs> you could just as easily have not addressed it at all, not even seen the outside of it. Um, so it did just seem like flourish for the sake of it. But anyway, not to get too hung up on all that. It's just it was my only real kind of huge bugbear with the episode, I think. Um, and I kind of wish they'd kept things as they were with that. But Never mind. Um, yeah, I do love as well that um, he's not really in the episode much, but it ultimately turns out to be quite heavily about Captain Pike. Um, the kind of description of the three salient points of him was something that I really appreciated because it was, it, we've mentioned it before, but it, it feeds into like him as the Starfleet ideal, which I kind of like. <laughs> um, yes, definitely. Awesome. And I do like that um, Spock basically puzzles out what number one's name is without directly asking just when she you know he asks about the the matrix they use on the food devices or whatever and she calls it the una matrix and he's like ah your name is una i've worked it out so i do like a little bit of it, it's simple but a little bit of deductive reasoning to show that these people are quite intelligent and uh you know <laughs> not averse to to working things out um but i also love on on a complete opposite tangent that spock very briefly criticizes the prime directive um, yes. And it's kind of amusing that number one is just like, no, I don't question it. And if you want to get by on you, you shouldn't either. So <laughs> it's kind of like, it's a comedy moment, but it's intriguing potentially for, for what I could uh, say for the future. Number one, kind of having this water lust about kind of looking at the stars and what that kind of did for her. Because there's a very much a lot of that in this episode of that Star Trek, um, mm. you know, longing for more, I guess. Um, well, and and Spock and Pike and Number One share yes. that at the end, which is just it's probably my favorite moment in that short mm. when they're staring Definitely. at what a star formation on the view screen. Definitely. Um, so the next thing to just to get you guys involved again because it was a question I I wasn't one hundred percent about, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, which is um, she addresses Spock smiling and says it's not what Vulcans do, and it's kind of disconcerting. Um, but then you kind of do get the thing where she points out that diversity is important because she would never tell anybody not to be what they want to be. But 
in this case, she is kind of seeing through that he would have command in his future. And so to kind of temper it down for that reason. Uh, and I'm never quite sure on this. Is is that kind of, is, is it fair and reasonable or is she being a little bit kind of like, mm, I mean, um, so I'm kind of, I'm a coach. I coach teachers now Okay. for our middle school and high school. And I struggle with the same kind of concept they're dealing with. And this episode made me really think about that, that if because I'm in leadership, how much of the ranting and connection can I have with the teachers that I'm coaching? Because if they're going to receive um, insight and instruction from me, I, I can't, I, I, there has to be a little bit of a distance, right? Yeah. Um, so, and, and finding that balance and that distance is, is really important. And I think that's what number one's alluding to. You can't show everything about yourself to the people that might be serving under you because they have to have confidence in you. Right. And um, I, I think that's a fine line and a really interesting thing for this short to say, because I don't think that's really been said too much in Trek before. Obviously Picard takes her point or her position mm throughout in his command style he kind of has a distance between himself yeah. and the crew i do remember um, it coming up briefly in um i can't remember the episode but in the first season of voyager i remember janeway kind of wanting wrestling with does she keep the traditional formal distance of a captain or because they're all kind of stuck in that one place together does she you know dine with them and get to know them and, and be on a bit more friendly terms um I think so it's it in parallels i think you're right yeah okay fair enough <laughs> cool um you know so yeah, this to me, this issue is really the the best of this little short, and why I mm -hmm. like it so much. Um, you know, the the number one that we got in the cage is described in very '60s kind of sexualizing terms of like, oh, she's this frigid kind of, mm. uh, I, she's not a real woman, something like this, right? And this little short kind of resets that. And, and puts it in a way that is very familiar to what, what I hear from, you know, from female colleagues talking about the way they feel they have to act in professional situations is that often they feel like they don't have as much freedom to be kind of relaxed and personal as male colleagues, just because they, they don't, they, they won't be taken seriously. And so I really sympathized with number one, kind of wanting, kind of giving a little backstory about why she wants to remain detached uh, yes. being in this position of leadership. And that to me felt like a much truer story um, mm. for, for what it feels like to, to be a, a woman in a position of leadership. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating story. And again, it's something that hopefully we can explore more now that there's going to be a series. But um, what kind of brought me fully around was that it's something that she would never ask Spock to do that she doesn't do herself. And when she kind of points out that she's well aware how painful it can be kind of hiding yourself, there's a depth to that revelation and that kind of vulnerability to her, I guess, that was kind of like, oh, okay, wow, I get now where you're coming from. And it's kind of like... Um, you know, but but you two have found in each other the confidants that you can, you know, you you both know that you have to hide yourselves a little bit, but not necessarily to each other. And this is their first meeting, and I always love that when when any two characters meet for the first time and they develop a bond, and it's fully believable, even though they've just met. Um, so for me, I, I liked the way the dialogue was written and the scenes there for that, uh, and that feeds into um, 
number one kind of showing her freaky as they call it which i don't love the way that it's uh it's described because it just seems a little bit silly but that's neither here nor there um but i do love uh, and you guys may already know this i love this story uh, about the reasons why number one's particular thing is to be singing gilbert and sullivan um which is just because rebecca romaine can do it which i didn't know because <laughs> <laughs> um, apparently there was nothing written in the script it was just like and number one shows a hidden talent and then they asked rebecca romaine do you have any hidden talents and she was like oh i'm a traditionally trained singer who used to sing gilbert and sullivan and i've never had to use it in any job and they were like right that'll do <laughs> so like, you know I that's really interesting trivia. I mean, because it works so well. Because that yeah. that that little, I mean, it it totally fits a Star Trek. It does completely, you know, yeah. Commander, right? Yeah. It does, but I think it also has that truth because it comes from the actress and because it is something that you can see she's connected yeah. to and kind of passionate about. Which fair enough, it could just be good acting as well. But I think there is a little bit of a, a twinkle in her eye because she's like, "Oh, I get to do this now," so you know, um, which I like. I appreciate that. And uh, again, it's it's just glorious when Spock joins in, and uh, like I said, any any time it's an unspoken bond between these two characters, uh, which I just I think is great. Um, yeah, I like the <laughs> again, it's a directing type decision, but I like that it's kind of silent after that moment and awkward, and then the music mm -hmm. kind of cuts in from nowhere, and it's almost intrusive. Like, oop, it's interrupted a, a quiet moment here, <laughs> which is nice. Um, the last two notes that I have are just kind of kicky spots, which is. Uh, the engineer up John, who's trying to to rescue them from the turbo lift, I noticed is Welsh, and I'm curious if that's a deliberate kind of reference to Scotty being Scottish. Uh, yeah. Secondly, it was really nice to see Lieutenant Amin again, who was in such sweet sorrow on the Enterprise. <laughs> so there you go. And uh, yeah. Finally, again, directing note. I love that it's very on the nose, but Spock, who has literally come to admire this woman on a huge level literally watches her ascend like an angel out of the turbo lift and it is very much played as a as that moment and then that feeding into do vulcans feel awe they do captain but they tend to keep it to themselves as a, as a sweet little double meaning to cap off the episode i absolutely love that i think it's brilliant dialogue fantastic writing can't really say much else beyond that um so did you two have any other thoughts on the, the episode that we haven't talked about yet then you know, it's it's odd in the beginning when Spock is in the other ship's transporter, the camera's panning over his ear. It's panging mm. over his his uh, insignia. It pans mm. over his fingers. And I'm like, would we do that with any other character? Or is it because of the awe we all have for Spock, the character? And those moments bothered me because it didn't seem, it seemed more artificial than it should be. Okay. praising this young spock who is no one special yet you know in in the universe at this time um, okay so maybe that's um, why like the 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 short starts off and i was just pulled out in that moment um okay. and I, I like i said i don't usually go with the things that i find critical no but, it's fine um, to bring something to this discussion i think i should you know go in that's fine in. yeah and I, I I would disagree just for the not just for the purposes of disagreeing, but I do disagree um, because I think I, I like any director that's like this is the hero shot, and ultimately whether it's the Spock that we know or not, he is the hero of this episode. Um, he's the protagonist, so to me it kind of made sense, I guess. Um, I can I can see that for sure. Yeah, but I get what you're saying. I mean, it perhaps overly fetishizes to a degree that's a little bit silly. Well, um, just think yeah. about Spock being revealed in Unification 1 at the end in TNG. Mm. He comes out of the shadows, and it's a great moment, but it, it doesn't like go on these icons of, of our culture, the ears, yeah. the hands, the badge. It almost pulled me out of Star Trek 
that it's emphasizing the icons of Star Trek in this story. Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes it, sense. It, it does, but I'm I'm on the other side. Neither one of us are wrong, but I'm I'm completely oh, yeah, on board yeah, for yeah, that yeah. because um yeah, I, I appreciate that being such a fan and I, I can appreciate what they're doing because like I said, I'm the sucker that's kind of like, oh, it's Vulcan ears, it's a Starfleet insignia, and anytime that um you know that they very much play the awe and We'll get into it again with the next episode, but the awe and the wonder of being on the Enterprise, um, yes. and every any time they do that, I'm always like, "Yep, absolutely, I'm there with you." <laughs> um, but um, I, I yeah, and I'm very sentiment. Think. I'm very sentimental, so I don't know why that bothered me, but it, it did. Yeah. Uh, so, what about you, Dan? Did you have any other thoughts that we haven't touched on? Well, I'll I'll just uh, add to your uh, discussion, not w without taking sides on this. Okay, uh, fair enough. But uh, but one one little aspect of that initial uh, opening that I loved is that there is just a moment where we get a close up of Spock's mouth, and he has a tiny kind of half Mona Lisa smile going yeah. on there. Yes, I which, love which that moment. Does connect into the the whole theme and the discussion yeah. of you know hiding yourself or or self expression so i i just do like that those those few frames and that that um is fun for me awesome that's fair enough um so what i will do now then um, just for this particular episode we'll go one by one uh, and i will ask for a conclusion if you guys have one uh, i know it's probably going to be on the fly and then um, a score that you would give this out of five starfleet deltas uh, we'll go in order again, so I'll start with you, Chris, excuse me, and say, do you have a conclusion and a score for Q&A? Yeah, Q&A is a wonderful little introduction to Spock's first day on the Enterprise and a fun back and forth between him and number one, and I give it a three out of five insignia. Okay, awesome, fair enough. And uh, what about you then, Dan? Do you have a conclusion and a score? Yeah, I, I think this is a wonderful... Um little vignette um it it could st stand on its own even if we didn't know anything about these two characters but mm. um it's also giving me a lot of hope for interesting things to think about as uh, yes. strange new world starts spinning up and Definitely. um i i so i think i'm going to give it uh four out of five deltas Awesome. Uh, and I just said, I think it's a, a fantastic use of the format to show us an important moment that we might not have gotten to see otherwise. Uh, I think the script is whip smart, running with the basic initial concept that number one was the Spock character and Spock was more shouty and smiley uh, as a way to kind of explain those discrepancies in canon, I guess, that some people would call it, but that for me are just more interesting as character beats. Uh, I like that it uses these facts to flesh out and develop both characters. Uh, I think the acting is breathtaking. The direction is perfect, uh, but unfortunately minus points for the ridiculous turbo lift network uh, and the fact <laughs> that, um, yes, it is so brief and therefore it's a little bit unable to sit in some of the emotion that it engenders because uh, it kind of has to, by nature, be a bit faster. Um, and so, yeah, I also would have said four out of five stars. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, Good episode of Star Trek. That's what we got to <laughs> say, right? That's the average. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'll probably end up rounding it up, but yeah, three and two fours I do not think is a bad score at all. Uh, so we'll move on to Ask Not, uh, which again, just to give you a quick summary, this is basically um, a young Starfleet cadet uh, named Sidhu is on a starbase when a Starfleet prisoner is brought in who is quickly revealed to be Captain Pike, uh, who is basically trying to talk her into freeing him because the base is under attack by Tholians or so it seems. Uh, and it's essentially a wrestling with, does she obey 
this Starfleet legend and do as he says or obey rules and regulations and stick to her Starfleet training. Uh, and I won't spoil the ending, but we will later. So be warned if you haven't seen this. Uh, so just quickly then, um, we'll start with you this time, Dan. Do you have any initial spoiler-free thoughts on Ask Not and what you thought of it? So um, my um, initial thoughts on it are that it is an interesting moment uh, of what it might look like to be a, a cadet, uh, a newly assigned to a, a post. And it gives us an interesting view on, you know, uh, assessment and, and the relationship of uh, command decisions to um, how much you trust your personnel. But um, there's, there's some, there's also some big problems with it for me. So I'm kind of, um, I'm, yeah. I have mixed feelings about this. I'm sure we'll get into it. We may end up agreeing or uh, we may end up disagreeing. We'll see. Uh, but what about you then, Chris? What would you say, uh, spoiler-free as possible, about the episode in general? I absolutely love this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I think it was you that requested we do it, actually. <laughs> but there we go. Yes, yes. Um, okay. I've written and produced a video essay on on Pike as an archetype of, of oh, okay. Roddenberry's humanism, and this episode definitely factored into that. Right. I'll leave okay. it at that. Uh, yeah, okay, I can I can see that becoming a debate potentially later, but I'll move us in, first of all, to the, uh, the, the bigger sort of themes of this. And uh, I will say that, again, the first thing that I've got to say, and sorry to be a broken record, great direction. Uh, I think the way that the intro is wonderfully unnerving and shocking, um, that unlike some of the other short tracks, it doesn't start with a title. So you're immediately thrown into, like, chaos, alarms blaring, and the camera not, not um, staying still. Uh, and so you get these odd angles and close-up shots and things. Uh, and then, obviously, the reveal of Captain Pike, I think, would be a great way to either end the cold open for a regular-length story or to give you an act-break kind of shock. Um, and, and I think it still works, even though I do think the actual design of the mask is ridiculous. Could have just been a black hood. It doesn't need to be this disassembling mesh of weird metal triangles for no reason. In terms of the start uh, of the episode then, which is the kind of, you know, us being flung into it and the reveal, uh, what, did you two have any thoughts on uh, on what you thought about that? Was it effective or did you kind of not on board yet? Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. I was totally on board. Um, we're just kind of jarred into this situation and totally um, into Sidhu's point of view. Mm and the desperate situation and immediately a teaser so there's no teaser in a short like this but you're were no, it is, asked yeah, right. to wonder what is going on yeah and that's what good fiction does it hooks you right from the beginning um so i think it's really effective in the beginning okay yeah it definitely hits the ground running uh, what about you dan any thoughts up to now as, uh, as until we get to the pike reveal well i i um I, I feel the same as Chris for the first watch through, but I have, I have critiques of this moment that can only be discussed post spoiler. <laughs> okay. No problem. Me. It seems like the very next scene, um, Captain Pike is acting very out of character towards the Tholians. Oh, you know, they're, they're not human. They need to be just wiped out. We need to just do what needs to be done. And I get that that's possibly the point because spoiler alert, it's a big test. Um, but to me, it kind of jarred because even the first time around and because this character's meeting him for the first time, I was a little bit wary of, well, isn't she getting the sense that this is very out of character for him? Um, and I was curious what you thought about that, particularly uh, if, if you liked the episode, Chris, did you not mind that? And what uh, what would you kind of rebut that with, I guess? 
No, I totally got that same concern when I first watched it. I'm like, this isn't this isn't the Pike that we just saw for a whole season. Yeah. Um, and my rebuttal would be, this is a cadet who probably has heard of Chris Pike mm. as a legend in Starfleet, but often when we meet our or learn more about our legends, they're just people, and they're not always the best people. Like, I think it's pretty believable that she would be shocked and she see i think the actress portrays the shock and dismay at seeing pike pushing her in this way and trying to manipulate her by calling on um her antagonism or feelings towards the tholians mm. um it, it works yes. for me though yeah because i should have said it really it, it does feed into her personal story in that mm-hmm. her, her husband i think it was survived an attack by the tholians previously um so she she was kind of a victim of them who'd, who'd suffered that ptsd um, which again, in retrospect, makes this test a little bit cruel, but I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Um, Dan, what about you? Did you have any thoughts about this particular moment or not? Well, you know, I it was fun watching this right after Q&A, because if, mm. if we've been paying attention to number one's description of Pike, yes, then of course his, his sort of blood loss to go after the Tholians yeah. doesn't make sense. And maybe that's a little clue as to where this is going. So yeah. I, I, I thought that was pretty good. And, and I okay. appreciate that. Yeah. That's fair enough. Um, just as a quick geeky spot, I did like as well that um, the directive about um, in a combat situation, command falls to the vessel with tactical superiority. I did recognize that from Voyager. Uh, I Equinox. Think, yeah, I think it was Equinox or Equinox, absolutely. <laughs> and it's almost word for word, which I was like, yay. Um, uh, on a more positive note, I do like how stalwart uh, Kadu manages to, to keep throughout the episode. I like that she points out, you know, loopholes aren't her style. Um, but I don't love how aggressive Pike is in retrospect at this moment because, yes, we know with the benefit of hindsight it's a test and whatever else, but to me he just gets a little bit too close to, to being overly aggressive towards a very young woman, which is a little bit disconcerting, optically speaking. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I will push against, like, that's the point of it, right? Yeah. To- to make her so uncomfortable and intimidated and threatened, will she break with her oath to Starfleet protocol and regulations? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I uh, see that because I felt that uncomfortableness yeah. uh, when he started acting so aggressive and like leaning towards her. I definitely yeah. feel that every single time I see it, even though I know yeah. it's coming. So I definitely yeah. see that. Yeah, and again, in terms of the direction, in terms of what it's trying to get across, the music ramping up and the kind of tension that's portrayed as she points the phaser, it's perfectly done, but to me it's just kind of a bit too jarring, um, which, you know, maybe I'm not on my own with that, we'll see, but um, yeah. Well, to me, in that moment, I'm cheering for her. Like, I'm totally now, she's a protagonist, I'm like, she is awesome, and she will be an amazing Starfleet officer once she graduates. I really want to see more of cadet see who but i do like that pike does seem genuinely sorry when the kind of simulation's over so at yes. least there is there is that he genuinely is apologetic um and he calls out that it's inhumane um and some people might see it as that way yes i do remember the uh command training scenes from next generation but, but the even then she knew it was a hologram of him yeah true right. but i mean that's that's the point is that would you would you actually do it though if that was the sick the case and uh but yeah, that's why I find this test to be really interesting because the Kobayashi Maru, everyone's going to know it's 
it's a no-win scenario. So what's kind of the point of the test? Mm. Um, this test was an unknown test, and you can really get a gauge, a feeling for the character's character and integrity. For C dude, absolutely, yeah, completely. But um, again, I don't. My, my particular issue would be that, like, when is she going to necessarily be in this kind of situation? Um, because this is my other criticism: was that Pike says, "Oh, it's it might seem extreme and inhumane, but war is all those things," which just left me to question: Well, what war's going on at the moment? You're not That's engaged true. in one, you know. It's an even weirder choice to make it that she's an engineer, not even like a command officer. So the odds of her having to make any of these decisions are pretty astronomical anyway, um, which jarred a little bit. And yeah, I just thought, I don't love this idea that Starfleet is, oh, we're always ready for war. We've got to be prepared because to me it was, you know, what you should be testing is how well can you use sensors and scan a planet for life forms and stuff. It's fair that it didn't resonate with you as yeah matching with your Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. My, my other thought, first of all, I know it's, again, it's a geeky thing, but engineering is almost as stupid as the turbo lifts. It just looks ridiculous and not like engineering on a Constitution class ship. It's, it's huge. <laughs> it's just completely unnecessarily huge and complex um, and just looks silly to me. But again, I can live with it. Uh, but enough from me. Uh, Dan, <laughs> we've went right the way through. So what were your kind of thoughts and uh, critiques on the on the episode and the general idea? Well, okay. So, um, assuming that spoilers are are now okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I've gone for it. Yeah. Uh, the the um, so the I think that the initial moments of this are good on a first watch through. It really does serve the function of immediately drawing us in, getting mm -hmm. us on the edge of our seats, raising the stakes, um, and that's fun. Um, but on a second watch through, once you know how it ends and you know it's just a test, um, it really is a is a bad uh, kind of sour note for me, uh, mm. both for in inside, uh, like in-world reasons and for writing reasons. Um, because, you know, it's not just like there's red, red alert alarms going off. There's there's actual explosions. Yeah. Um, and Sidhu is knocked to the ground. She is completely uninjured, but, uh, she could easily have been very seriously injured. Um, and, you know, okay, in world, if if Pike was willing to authorize explosions um, that could possibly maim uh, a cadet uh, in order to do this little test, then that's incredibly reckless and terrible decision-making. Um, yeah. and, and, but, and so... That's a sour note, but then also, you know, just I, I don't like it when uh, writers do this, right? And mm. that is to kind of when there's going to be a big reveal, right? And then mm. you you get you you get sucked in, but then after the reveal, something previous to the the reveal from the beginning or or middle of the of the story doesn't make sense anymore once you've had that reveal. Right. To me, that's that's cheating, and that's just bad writing, yeah, and fair. um, and so that that really, it 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 always bugs me when I see something like that, and so this is an example of it. I just I'm I'm a little sore about it. Fair enough. Personally, I didn't really mind or get into the weeds as much about the kind of oh, there's explosions and you might get hurt kind of thing. Um, not to say that it's not valid, but to me, it was very much a background consideration, I guess. Um, but yeah, I can see where you're coming from though. 
Uh, and again, in retrospect, when you know it's a test and you're watching just how crazy things are at the start, you, you very much are within your rights to be like, oh, this is very uncomfortable knowing what we know now. So, uh, Yeah, Dan, I hadn't thought of that because she's forced to the ground. She's knocked to the yeah. ground from yeah. the force of these fake explosions or, or torpedo hits. That is pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I would I would get in big trouble if I tried teaching like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I yeah. get it from a TV drama standpoint, but ultimately, like you said, if this was an actual test run by people who yeah. are meant to be as nice as Starfleet, yeah. Maybe number one has uh, needs to be reprimanded for just how realistic she made the simulation, I guess. <laughs> yeah, this is just turn the shake a meter down a little bit. <laughs> uh, so we'll we'll do the same again, then we'll go with um, conclusions and scores, but just in the interest of keeping it fresh, I'll start with you, I think, Dan, this time and get your conclusion and just score out of five stars slash stuff. Sure. Well, I mean, apart from that, I, I, I do think it's uh, an interesting, uh, you know, test, right? And it, it focuses a lot of our attention on an important aspect of, you know, this franchise and how things work. Mm -hmm. um, it, it comes down very clearly on one side of a debate where elsewhere in the franchise, you know, disobeying orders is sometimes the clearly right thing to do. Yes, um, true. But, yeah. but that's but that's fine, and we, you know, that's it's fine to have that tension and have because the, these are both important parts of of the series as we know it. Um, so uh, I like it with the sour note that that I mentioned. I'll just give it a three uh, out of five. Stars. Okay, fair enough. Um, that's still pretty good. Uh, so, Chris, what about you? Your uh, conclusion and score? Well, I think what the character trait that marks Pike the most is his integrity for mm -hmm. me. Okay. And in this episode, she's test, he's testing the integrity of cadet Sidhu. And for me, like uh, Mike, I saw your issues were with how Pike's portrayed, but my attention's completely on the cadet the entire time. This is her story in my mind. And right. every line of dialogue exchange between both of those, every look, every body movement is communicating so much character and theme that it's it's just a really strong um, distillation of of a story. And it's even shorter than Q&A, I think. In Q&A, there's a lot of superflu superfluous lines that could be taken out and it wouldn't affect the story. But in this, I think every moment is pretty critical to the character and um for that reason that it's such a strong character story for a character they're introducing and exploring in one episode um for that reason i give it a five so a three and a five i'll give my thoughts then not my favorite short track to be honest it just seems mean-spirited and unnecessary because uh, to me there's more to starfleet than war and she's not even in command as i said so shouldn't her test really involve fixing something uh, that said, I have to credit the actors for a brilliant job again and the director uh, for doing so much with so little to keep things claustrophobic, nerve-wracking and moving along. Uh, the end moment of awe at the Enterprise that we touched on is, is very nice uh, and it's good to see the familiar characters and Pike eventually come back to being his inspiring self. Uh, there's some interesting things here which could well have been explored more deeply in a full-length episode, uh, but I'm afraid overall it's just a bit of a misfire for me. Uh, and I would say two out of five. So <laughs> there you go. So that would give we us got a, the full spectrum here. Absolutely. So that was a total of ten. Um, yeah. So uh, the very next section, then, just quickly, uh, is a section that I like to do on the podcast. A section that I call Gene's vision, which is that 
it's something that everybody always quotes as uh, the, the, what Star Trek needs to have. And to me, Star Trek always has it, even in the examples that some people would claim don't. Uh, so just quickly, in these two short treks, can either of you think of any examples that you'd like to call out of particularly great Star Trek ideology that you think might fit with the generally received idea of what Gene's vision would be? Uh, and I'll start with you, Chris. Gene's vision. There's a lot about that on the internet these days. Indeed. Um, and there, <laughs> there's um, a lot there. But um, I think, like I said, with, with Ask Not, it's about if you're going to be the Starfleet officer, which you're called to be the best of the best of humanity, um, you have to be the best of the best, even the, in the worst situations. And that's what this test is trying to determine um, for the cadet. Is, does she have what it takes to hold firm to her morals like Janeway, yeah, even in the worst situations? I see that, yeah. Um, and with Q&A, I just love that 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 gene's vision about um being curious and asking questions yes yeah i think absolutely. that's at the core of star trek awesome yeah i would probably agree 100 that would be one of the things i would say as well um certainly for q a but yeah uh, so what about you dan did you have anything that you'd want to shout out to mention about that you know i i was going to go with that theme of curiosity i mean on mm. on, on q q a is is sort of obvious right it's directly there yeah completely um, and and um to to the to the point where um you know the part of the humor is that spock is asking too much yeah. um but but also you know ask not uh, despite the title it is it is also about questioning in this case Pike wanting to know if this young cadet has the medal. So some of the questions were were encouraged to ask from the start of Gene's vision is, you know, is do you have do you have it in you? So what it is then, I'll just quickly finish us off with the usual section. Uh, final section is what I call subspace communications. Uh, and that's just basically audience feedback where I put out a tweet or a message and just ask people what they think of the episodes in question. Uh, and this is from both my Twitter and from Chris's, uh, because Chris is always putting out uh, what he's watching, and I always enjoy seeing it and seeing <laughs> all of his various quizzes and bits and pieces on Twitter. So shout out, do follow at Shelf Nerds on Twitter, because it's a fantastic Trek follow. And while you're there, thank at, you, thank you. at Earl Grey on Twitter is not too shabby either. So there you go. <laughs> um, so let me just say that, the, first of all, this is from... Uh, sorry, I do not have the full uh, title, but it's somebody called Physical Distance Instead of something, um, uh, who just says that they wonder if Cadet Sidu is going to be in Strange New Worlds. Chris hopes so, obviously. Uh, and they say, yeah, it could be interesting to see her evolution to higher ranks after the incident with Pike. Uh, yeah, and again, just uh, Chris and this person agreeing she was fantastic, which I agree. Absolutely. Um, I agree with myself. <laughs> <laughs> There's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I don't always. And this is from at Niall underscore Maxted, who said, I loved it. Two amazing actors going at it. Amazing. It aligns in with Pike later being an instructor as well, which I didn't actually think about. But yeah, that's true. Uh, like he got into the idea of wanting to be an instructor to shape the next generation. Absolutely. Good point. Um, really cool. Yeah. Uh, at Trek fan Rick, who was our guest a couple of weeks ago, said, I love Ask Not. I think I suspected something was up, but I was pretty drawn into it. So I wasn't really trying to second guess it. I was hooked on the two actors doing their thing and thought they both did brilliantly. So there you go. Uh, contrary to that, at HG Chuck says, I'm not a fan of secret test of character plots, at least when they're applied by the allegedly good guys. They necessarily involve the tester deceiving the candidate, which potentially erodes trust. 
which I think feeds into some of our criticism. Well, I only have one response to the uh, tweet asking about Q&A, and that's Daniel Jakobovitz, who just says, I really enjoyed it. So not a lot of feedback, but there we go. Uh, interesting thoughts, I think, and an interesting discussion between all uh, all of us, I think, on that one. So uh, that concludes uh, things for this particular episode. Before we go, just quickly, did you have any last uh, things that you wanted to shout out uh, where people can find you on socials and other projects that you're working on? And uh, again, I'll start with you, Dan, this time. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, so again, uh, the best way to find me is by looking me up on Twitter, and that's at Mr. Earl G. And uh, I don't have a Star Trek podcast of my own, but I am co-host of a uh, foundation podcast. So if anyone there is a fan of Asimov or the new uh, Apple TV adaptation, uh, you can check us out at uh, Star's End Podcast on your favorite uh, podcast feed. Excellent. Well, I, and, uh, I yeah. cannot wait to watch that series. And when I do, I'm hitting you up. Great. So awesome. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. You guys are great uh, Twitter followers anyway, generally. And uh, so, yeah, Chris, did you have anything you wanted to shout out or social uh, handles or anything? Um, I, I mean, you mentioned at Shelf Nerds, but um, on YouTube, I have a, a YouTube channel where I talk a lot about Star Trek called Completing the Shelf. And so check me out there for more mostly probably 99% positive takes on Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. And I think we all we all love Star Trek and we're all definitely not the people that are like, anything would ruin a franchise that we love. And uh, I like that we can have interesting debates, disagree and still remain friends because so far on the podcast, I've, I've had that with every one of my guests. And once again, you two have been fantastic just to talk, to have, uh, you know, differing views and yet fully understand each other and uh, to talk Star Trek, which is always fun. So hopefully we can... Yes. <laughs> hopefully we can still all stay in touch via via twitter and stuff and uh maybe even talk again on a future podcast uh as things develop but in uh in particular for this series join us again next week when i am going to be joined by two friends of mine uh they are a couple they are andy kemp and phil english uh one huge trekkie and one who is being introduced to star trek through next generation for the first time uh, and we are all three of us going to be reviewing the next gen episode yesterday's enterprise. So Ooh. do stay tuned for that. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it just remains for me to say thank you so much to uh, Chris and to Dan for joining me and for making another brilliant episode and uh, join us again later. And in the meantime, remember we are Starfleet live long and prosper. <laughs>